So we are continuing our series on um, 1 Timothy. And as I said in the beginning, when we start studying this chapter, this book, the purpose of Paul writing this letter to Timothy is to instruct Timothy of what a proper church should look like, what godly church, what God-centered church, what God-centered church looks like. But before we talk about the specific qualifications of a deacon, which occupy a very important leadership role of the church, um, we first have to talk about, we just have to like kind of look at life through God's lens. Right? For those of you who were here on Friday evening prayer meeting, I started the prayer meeting by Ask by telling you guys, reminding you guys that God is a person. If you look at the Bible in its entirety, you can see God is a God who engages with humanity. He has a dialogue with humanity. And in scripture, it reveals many, many person, personhood attributes of God. The Bible describes God as a person. God has a mind. God has a will. God has feelings. If you look at Jesus Christ, who is God, you could see he is a God of feelings. If you look at the Old Testament God, the Old Testament God is a God, Yahweh is a God of feelings. So God is a God who is, who occupies all the elements of personhood. He doesn't have a physical body. But apart from that, he has all the attributes of a personhood. The reason you and I have an attributes of personhood, the reason why you and I have independent minds, independent feelings, independent wills, is because we're made in the image of the ultimate person who is God. Capish? God is separate from you and me. And as a God who has a separate, as a God who is a separate person from you and me, you need to understand God has a separate agenda from you. God's agenda for your life quite be quite different from your agenda for your life. I think a lot of Christians conflate the two agendas. We think God's agenda is my agenda, and my agenda is God's agenda. That's not true. God has an agenda that is perhaps independent from your agenda. And being a Christian means letting go of our agenda and living in accordance to, to the promotion of his agenda. What makes life so difficult for a Christian? It, you discover over and over again how different your agenda is from God's agenda. Like, I, I remember when Caleb was in eighth grade, my wife really, even though my wife would not say it, she was... She wanted what a typical Northern Virginia Korean mom wants for her kids to go to TJ. Because TJ, evidently, is a, it is a secret door to Narnia. Right? 
get the golden ticket. You're set for life, baby, right? And when Caleb didn't get in, my wife was distraught. She thought that was God's plan for my, our son. But God took him into a different direction. The realization that God's agenda for my son is separate from my wife's agenda for my son, that's kind of hard. That was an adjustment my wife needed to make. Even for me, I have a certain agenda of what embrace should look like. But God is telling me over and over again, my agenda for embrace is not necessarily his agenda for embrace. And that is something that I still am going back and forth, back and forth. But what, is, what God is doing is, he's making me, revealing to me over and over again, his agenda for embrace is the most important agenda and not what I want embrace to be. Do not conflate the two agendas. His will will be done. His will will be done. Christians should have an attitude as the attitude of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will be done, but your will be done. And you need to mean it and you need to pursue after that agenda. This is important because in Scripture it is very clear God's number one priority for the creation here in this world, God's number one purpose for humanity in this world is the building of his church. In the mind of God, Scripture makes it clear God's number one priority in this world is to build his church. According to Reformed theology, of which I subscribe to, the reason God sent Jesus Christ into the world was to save his people so that the church of God, the people of God, can be built in this world. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, so the people of God, which is the church of God, can be built in this world. Jesus Christ died for the church. What other higher priority is in the mind of God than this? You know what evangelism is, if you think of it a certain way? Evangelism is God growing the, growing the church in this world. What is a church? The church in Greek is, means ecclesia. And what ecclesia simply means is gathering of people. That's what ecclesia means. That's what the church means. Church means the gathering of people whom God has saved. That's what the church means. It's the gathering of people whom God has saved. So in a sense, God saves people so that his church, his people in this world can grow. God's number one priority in the world is not only to save people and add them to the church, but the people within the church, Christians within the church, will serve one another so that the church will be built up. 
God's highest priority for all Christians. And 1 Corinthians make it plainly clear is that people get together, Christians get together, and build the church of God. That's highest agenda for any Christian. And oftentimes, it is when we follow God in the pursuit of his agenda, oftentimes it is there where we find him clearly. When I was in seminary, I remember my church history professor told, told us, you know, God exists everywhere in the world. God is Omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He exists everywhere. But human beings have a hard time seeing him because of our sinful state. So where is the sinful person who is blind most likely to find God? The sinful person is most likely to find God in this world. Where? At the church. Why? Because it is in the church that God is personally active. Where are you most likely able to find God in your life? It is in the places where he told you he is going to be. Where did he tell you that he is going to be? When two or three of us are gathered in his name, Jesus says, there I will be. You understand? Jesus says, when two or two or Christians were gathered, he promised, there my spirit will dwell there. Where are you more likely to experience the personal presence of God? As you pursue him within the context of the church. Yes, he comes to you in your individual prayer closets. But what Verse 13 tells us is that your faith can grow confidently in the Lord as you serve him in the church because it is within the church that he is active. Do you understand? God's number one priority is to build the church. It is. How does God build the church? He builds the church through his word. He does. He saves people through his word. Remember, church is a gathering of the people of God. How do you become a person of God? By listening to the word and understanding it. That's how you come to living faith in Jesus Christ. You come to living faith in Jesus Christ not because you cried your heart out at a retreat when you were seventh, when you're in seventh grade. You come to living faith in Jesus Christ as the word is preached and as the word makes sense to you, as you understand it. That's how you come to living faith in Jesus Christ. You become a member of God's church through the word. Through the word. Christians mature in the Lord. Our minds are constantly renewed in the Lord through the word. And as our word is constantly, as, the word, as our minds are constantly renewed through the word, we become mature and mature Christians begin to serve. And serve, mature Christians serving, loving each other based on the word is the way the church grows. 
So the fundamental tools that God uses to build his church is number one, elders and pastors who faithfully preaches the word of God. My job is not to share extravagant spiritual experiences with you. My job is not to like, you know, you know, have like, you know, go to a prayer closet and somehow prophecy your God's individual will for you. That's not my role. My role is to faithfully preach the word of God to you in all its glory. So that you and I will, will come into living faith and you and I will mature. Tool number one of God building his church, elders, pastors, who preaches the word of God. Number two are deacons. Deacons in this context in 1 Timothy chapter 3 are servant leaders of the church. These servant leaders hear the word of God, they're saved, they're mature in the word of God, and as they mature in the word of God, they lead the service activity within the church. The, the word deacon means servant, by the way. That's what deacon means. The word deacon means servant. In a sense, every Christian is a deacon because every Christian is a servant. There is no separation between the identity of a Christian and the identity of a servant. So this idea that you go to church simply to listen to God's word and not serve, that's a contradictory in terms. Because the very definition of a Christian is a servant. And in a sense, therefore, every Christian is a deacon because every Christian is a servant. But, 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 but the, de the deacon that Paul mentions in 1 Timothy chapter 3 are even amongst the Christians in the church. They are appointed men and women who are the lead servants, official leaders of that church. And these, these deacons who help minister the church with the pastor. So the way that God builds churches is faithful pastors who preach the word of God and deacons who faithfully serve the ministerial task of the church. Are you with me? Before we move on, a little bit of warning. Before we discuss the qualifications, don't say, are deacons qualified? Right? I know you guys think, let's see, is... Is I don't know, it's so-and-so, one of the deacons, is this person, make, this, make the cut? Don't do that, right? Because these qualifications are not only for the deacons of our church, but for all Christians, all right? All right, let's go. The question is, what are the, what are the, what are the job duties of a deacon? Before we go through the qualifications, what are the job duties of a deacon? In order for us to understand what the job, general job description of a deacon looks like, we have to go to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through, 1 through 7. Don't worry, I'm not Pastor Wujin. I don't, not worry. Pastor Wujin does a great job of telling the guys what the Bible verse is, what he quotes. I'm not that disciplined like Pastor Wujin is, right? But Acts chapter, two, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, what is happening in, these, in Acts chapter 6? A little bit of context. Acts chapter 6 is about the early church, the first church in the church of Jerusalem, okay? 
And despite my, our Fox News, you know, Fox News and conservative news media, you know, you know, worldview, the early church shared all their resources. They were socialists. Now, they weren't really socialists. Socialist means like government controlling the means of production. They were socialists, meaning the early church people, when they gathered, they shared all their resources so that everyone did not lack any physical needs. Right? That's how the early church did it. They shared, everyone came together, everyone just poured their income in one checking account, and, like the, and, the, and the income was distributed accordingly to the, to the people's needs. You guys want to do that? No? Like everyone put all your income in one checking account and Sean Stark distributes it accordingly? Sean Stark will be the most powerful person of, of, of embrace. But that's what they did, right? They distributed their income. And that was fine when the church was smaller. They could kind of readily do it because the church was smaller. But the issue became the church was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The church was getting bigger, and people, were, people with physical needs were increasing. Right, so that to the point where the apostles, right, the original apostles, like the apostles, twelve apostles, they weren't able to manage the growing, managing the growing physical needs of the congregation, and devoting themselves to the preaching and teaching of God's word. So what did the what, what did the apostles do? They appointed seven men to to take care of this issue of the growing physical needs of the church. These seven men were responsible for distributing the funds of the church according to meet the physical needs of the people, especially the needs of the widows. You understand? There was an increasing physical needs of the church to the point where the apostles were taken away from their responsibility of teaching and praying and teaching God's word. So these seven men were elected to handle the distribution of income within the church. That's like a prototype. I guess that's the first model of what a deacon does. What does a deacon do? Number one, I get this from David Platt's um, commentary. I quote my commentary, by the way. Um, According to Acts 6, right, these are the, what, we, what I just described to you, these are what, um, what the deacons generally do. Number one, deacons meet the specific needs of the church members according to the word of God. In Acts chapter 6, the widows were, getting, were not getting the money they needed. The Bible is clear. The church is to take care of the widows and the orphans. The will of God is clear. The church is called to take care of the widows and the orphans. That's the command of our Lord. So these men, these seven men, were selected so that the church can obey God's word of taking care of the orphans by distributing the funds to them equitably. 
there is a need of a church. There is a physical need of the church. And God's call is for the church to to meet the needs of the church if those needs are based on biblical commands. For example, one of the podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis every Tuesday is the podcast called Pastor's Talk. How great is that? It's about two pastors, two pastors, one pastor is Mark Dever, Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Another, another pastor is, is from Chevrolet Baptist Church in Maryland and in Alexandria. And they have a pastor's talk. And in, in the pastor's talk, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, they talked about how Capitol Hill Baptist Church, is one, is, which is one of the big churches in D.C., what the role of deacons in that church how the deacon in the church, the type of role the deacons in the church serve. So in that podcast, they interviewed maybe four or five deacons of Capitol Hill Baptist Church. The first deacon they interviewed was a deacon for parking. And that guy's job is to simply make sure that the cars are parked valeted and parked in an organized fashion. I think Capitol Hill Baptist Church is around maybe 500 people, 500 plus people, and they are in Capitol Hill, D.C. Is parking ample in Capitol Hill, Washington, D.C.? Is parking ample anywhere in Washington, D.C.? No, they're not. I pay $250 a month parking twice a week in my garage. Because parking is a scarcity in D.C. So this deacon of parking, he oversees the parking of the members of the cars of the church during Sunday worship. How is this guy's job related to biblical command? Bible makes it clear that the people of God should regularly gather on the Lord's day to worship God together. That's the Bible. Bible command is clear. God says, my people should worship together on the Lord's day, right? And in order to facilitate this command, the dean of parking park cars. Right? There's a deacon of finance. God says, be wise with your funds. Deacon of finance makes sure that the funds of the church are being distributed or managed, managed in a responsible way. There is dean of newcom- deacon of newcomers. Whenever newcomers come, the deacon of newcomers helps to make sure that new members get plugged in into very like plug into different groups so that these people can feel part of the community of the church. There's a deacon of outreach whose job is to look at the needs of the community of D.C., right, and reach out. Make sure the church can does its part reaching out to the needs of the community for the sake of evangelism. See how it works? The role of the deacon is to facilitate the needs of the church based on the commands of the word, Right? That's what you're called to do. They're doing God's work. God says, do this. Deacons help make those commands happen in the church. 
That's what deacons do. God says, church, you do this. Deacons make sure that the church is able to fulfill those commands. I'm sorry, current deacons, I didn't teach you this in detail before you joined. A little thought. Second responsibility of the deacon. They, they take care of the church, these administrative needs of the church, so that the pastors and elders can devote themselves to the teaching of the word and prayer. It doesn't mean I don't get involved in the affairs of other people in the church. But my primary duty is to pray and study the word of God so that I can feed you the word of God. And if I am busy doing these administrative tasks, it takes away from my primary, primary calling. If I'm being taken away from my primary calling, if I spend less time praying, less time studying so that I can attend to the administrative tasks, at the end, I don't think all will not benefit from that. Sometimes when I'm like hammering away at a sermon and like on Saturday afternoon and evening, my wife comes into my office and say, why don't you just like re-preach one of the sermons that you've done like a few years ago, right? Number one, I can't because Josh Song will remember what I preached and he'll tell me I'm regurgitating that. I'm afraid of Josh Song. And number two, I think my calling is to give you the best work that I can. I don't want to give you stale food. Last summer, Pastor Ujim came back from Korea. He got COVID. He was supposed to preach, but he got COVID, so he couldn't preach. So he texted me at like 8 p.m. at 8 p.m. on a Saturday. I think I got COVID. I, can't, I don't think I can come to church tomorrow. My love for Pastor Wooden was tested that evening. 8 p.m. on a Saturday night, man. I told my wife, oh. And she said, why don't you repeat it? Repeat what you owe you a goodie. I said, I can't. So I opened up my word. I opened up the Bible, and I started crafting a sermon. It took seven hours, but I did it. Because that's my primary charge that God has given me to you. But if I'm called to attend to these administrative needs, then it's taking time away from my primary calling. Therefore, deacons help pastors do all these administrative tasks for the church. So the pastors can focus on their primary calling. The third job description of a pastor of a deacon, they help unify the church. During the Acts chapter in Acts chapter six, with the whole, you know, the whole like financial giving issue was arising, there was like this conflict within the church. Right? One, of the or one group of orphans weren't, weren't taken care of, so there was this drama within the church. The deacons rose up, those seven deacons, and they helped 
manage the, the, the potential division within the church. So that's what deacons do to help unite the church. These are the general job duties of a deacon. But Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 to 13, he doesn't go into details of deacons' job duties. He doesn't. He focuses more on the qualifications of a deacon. Why? It's because more important than the actual role what the deacons do, which is important, but more important than their actual role is their qualification. The right people need to be in the leadership positions of the church. More important than, you know, the duties, because duties of the deacon can change church by church between time to time, right? They can change. But the qualifications of a deacon is eternal because the right people have to occupy that position because if the wrong people occupy that position, the church is going to be damaged. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, Paul focuses on the qualifications of the elder, likewise, because if the wrong guy is the pastor of a church, that church will go down. And you see this everywhere. JMS, anyone? The right per and we have we have experiences where the wrong people were selected deacons of the church, and because the wrong people are selected as deacons, the church is being divided. The right people have to be in the leadership role. That's why Paul focuses on the qualifications of leaders in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We talked about qualifications of the pastor two weeks, like three weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we did that. Now let's talk about the qualifications of the deacon. Today, for the next 10 minutes or so, we're just going to talk about primarily verses um, 8 and 9, and 8, 9, and 10, and we'll save 11 and 13 next week. I'm disciplined, right? I wrote the entire sermon until the end of chapter 13, but I realized it's going to go over, so we're going to focus on the, the, the qualifications of the deacon according to verses 8, 9, and 10. Verse 8 and 9 and 10, Paul is talking about two things. The, the character requirements of a deacon and the faith requirement of the deacon. Once again, don't judge your deacons by what we're just reading here. Okay? It's calling for all Christians. So let's talk about the, the moral qualifications of a deacon. Deacon, verse 8, deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So the moral qualification of deacon is this. Number one, they have to be dignified people. They have to live respectable lives. What does a respectable life mean? It means they have to, people need to see that, the, that these deacons are striving to live in accordance to the commandments of God. That they take their lives seriously. They take God seriously. 
And regardless of the, whether they're in the leadership position or not, these men and women, if they're dignified, means they're striving to honor God with their everyday life. And it, and it will be evident to other people that these people are striving to live like that. So when we have the next deacon election, when is the next deacon election? Next September? Next September? You need to think about people, not who's popular, not who you just visibly see always coming around, whether these people are striving to live in accordance to God's word, these people take God seriously, and they're striving to live obediently. And you want to emulate that kind of living. They're not perfect, right? But there's a trend. There is, you know, they're, they're not perfect people, but there is, there is this desire to conform to the image of God. And you can see that desire living out in them. That's what it means to be dignified. So chief, one of the lead servants, have to be people who strive to live obediently, who hold God in the highest regard and strive to live obediently. Second qualification of deacon, not double-tongued. So we don't really clearly know what double-tongued means, one possible possibility is a person who's not gossipy. There's nothing like gossip that, to kill the, that kills a church. But I think more important, double tongue means a person with, with, who has integrity of speech. A person who doesn't say one thing to another person and, 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 and tells, tells something different to another person about the same issue. For example, let's say one of you comes to me Right for counseling session, you tell me your problems, and I go, oh, that sounds so hard, you know. Oh, I feel so bad. I'll I'll pray for your sister, right? I'll do that, and then I go home and and I and I call Jamie and said, Jamie, Jamie, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? You know what this person said? You know what this person said? That's being double tongued. To the to the person that I'm counseling, I say one thing, but to Jamie, I say another. You need to have integrity of speech because we know we, because a person with integrity of speech is a person of truth. The deacon will deal with, like, ideally, deacons should be into the life of the church and they talk to a lot of people. And because a lot of people, he, like, gripe about their problems to the deacon, the deacon should be, should, be, should be wisely discerning of how to speak to that person and how to speak about that person to other people. You have to be very careful with your tongue if you're a deacon. When you tell me my, your problems to me, I don't go and, and my wife says, so how was the meeting? And I say, it's fine. That's right. Say, fine, and that's the end of it. Why? Because I can get sued by pastor attorney-client privilege. But not only that, there's a respect. There's a respect. I don't even discuss your problems with my wife. Because there's a respect. 
deacons should be such people. If you're a deacon, don't treat your wife as if she's not the member of a church. She is the member of the church. And what you tell her can affect the life of the church. Deacons should not be double-tongued. They have to watch carefully what they say. Deacons should not be drunk. Should not be drunk with much alcohol. I hope that's not the problem with our deacon. Right? I hope you don't have, like, cases of alcohol in your closet somewhere and just, you know, just, like, getting drunk all the time. Why? Because deacon has to be a sober-minded person. That's why, not that's why, but notice it's interesting. Like, within the qualifications of the pastor and with the qualifications of deacons, Paul says, if you're a leadership role, you shouldn't, get a, you shouldn't drink much alcohol. Even though there's a place in the Bible where alcohol is permitted, I suppose. But Paul sternly warns against the abuse of alcohol, especially in the life of the church. Because alcohol can destroy the credibility of a person. If they're living a debaucherous, alcoholic life, it can destroy the credibility of the person in the life of the church. Therefore, a deacon should be a clear-thinking, sober-minded person who's not addicted to much alcohol, let alone addicted to much anything else. And fourthly, the deacon should not be greedy for dishonest gain. Why? Because certain deacons will have responsibility over the funds. The deacons in Acts 6 have responsibility over the funds. But if they're greedy, what they're going to do? They're going to start like misunderstanding that some of that fund belongs to them. And it's not out of the ordinary possibility because before my time, before PJ's time and embrace, I have heard that there was this guy who was a finance guy, like Sean Stark's job, right, who was handling the finances of the church. I don't think he's, I don't even know the guy. I don't know who he is, so I don't know, right? But this, you know what this guy did? He said, oh, this work, I think it was an accountant or something. Like, I'm kind of doing my accounting services here by helping manage the funds of the church. Therefore, I think I deserve to pay myself. So he started to pay himself based on the offering. It happened in Embrace. Or, I don't know, maybe it was before we were embraced. But it happened. Oh, I work hard for the church. I deserve some of it. Don't do it, Sean. <laughs> but that's why people of character needs to be a person of deacon, right? So that's the character requirement. Sober thinking, not greedy, so person striving to live in accordance to God and not double-tongued, careful with what they say. I think all in all, to be honest with you, I think our deacons are doing good in that regard. Unless you have a secret life that I don't know about deacons, right? Unless if I run into you in U Street on a Saturday night, I go, what are you doing here? More importantly, PJ, what are you doing here, right? <laughs> so, so, you know what I mean? So, but that's the character of a deacon. But most importantly, this is where we're going to end. Deacons should not only have these qualities, but deacons should possess the quality of 
of, of solid faith. Verse 9, it says, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. What in the world is Paul talking about when he says, they must hold the mystery of the faith? When Paul talks about the mystery of the faith, he's talking about the truth of Jesus Christ. Truth of and truth about Jesus Christ. The truth of Jesus Christ, the gospel, was revealed to the Jews and to the world until Christ came into the world. Jesus Christ and who he was was kind of foretold in the Old Testament, but was still veiled. But after the coming of Jesus Christ, the secret about who he is was fully revealed to the entire world through Scripture. So Paul is saying, deacons, above all things, they must be people who hold on to the knowledge of Jesus Christ with a clear conscience. Which means deacons should be people who study about Jesus Christ and who let the study their studies about Jesus Christ change their moral behavior so that they will live uprightly. Deacons should not only, peop- not only be people who kind of knows about Jesus Christ, but deacons should, only, should be people who knows about Jesus Christ and whose, life, whose moral life gets transformed so that they will live in accordance to the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what a deacon is. In fact, that's what all Christians should be. You have full knowledge. God has given, revealed the secret of Jesus Christ to you through the word of God, especially the New Testament. And as you study the word of God about Jesus Christ, your morality becomes transformed into his likeness. Well, perhaps this is the most important main point of today's sermon. You need to understand that your love for God and your desire to live a holy life and your desire to love God and even your desire and ability to love other people, the way you live your life is intricately tied to your theology. Your knowledge about God will determine how holy, loving, forgiving kind of a life that you're going to live. The bigger, clear, deeper understanding about God and Jesus Christ that you will have, the more that knowledge will transfer over and affect your life. You cannot separate your life from theology, from doctrine. The reason perhaps you guys are struggling with a certain sin, whether it is, sin, whether it is the ability to forgive, whether it's addicted to certain things, all these problems at, the end, at its core is a problem of theology and knowledge of God and not your moral weakness. 
Your morality is weak because your understanding of God is shallow. I'll give you an example. Like this week, I listened to an interview with Tim Chalice. Tim Chalice is a Christian writer. He writes for the Gospel Coalition, right? Really a man of God. Tim Chalice, two years ago, he had a 20-year-old son. 20-year-old son in seminary, his son wanted to be a preacher or pastor. And one day, you know, he wanted to play soccer with his friends. So he were out in the field playing soccer, and then he suddenly just dropped and died. His friends said, let's play soccer. Okay, so they played talk soccer, and then as they were playing soccer, he just, 20-year-old just died. And they say it's because he had an enlarged heart. The autopsy after the death says he had an enlarged heart. Death for his son just came suddenly and fast. Tim Chalice's life uprooted, upended, is upside down. How do you deal with such loss? Tim Chalice says, the anchor in the darkest period of my life, the anchor that sustained me, was my knowledge about God. He says, ever since I was a teenager, my church raised me in doctrine. I was raised in catechisms. I was raised in biblical studies. My mind was filled with the knowledge of the sovereignty of God ever since I was a young child. That knowledge of the bigness of God was the anchor that I held on to when my entire life fell apart. Knowledge of God helped him through it. The knowledge of God, the knowledge of Jesus Christ will help you through the entirety of your life. Oftentimes, we think theology is only for pastors and preachers and theologians. And we don't think the knowledge of God has anything to do with me. When I was in seminary, I had these like seminary fellow, like my, my friends, who are getting D's in seminary classes because they weren't attending classes, they weren't reading the books, they weren't studying. Why? Because they were too busy doing ministry. In seminary, yeah, Sean, sorry, you're absolutely right, Rizu. In seminary, you should be studying the Word of God. But these guys said, no, I'm not going to study because I'm too do busy doing ministry. Why? Because in their minds, Theology and ministry, theology and the life of their people is a separate thing. It's not a separate thing. It's one. This guy from UVA that visited, visited us last year, and I said, hey, how's your like, college fellowship? And he says, it's okay. And I go, why is it okay? It's because he says, my friends are just, every Friday they're getting together and just praying that God will meet them. They want some form of experience. Every Friday they're praying that God will bless them, that they will have an experience of God. They were just gathering and praying, God, let me experience you. And I asked him, are they reading the Bibles? He goes, no. <laughs> what are you doing? Their Bibles are closed and they want God to show up. What do you, what do you expect him to show up like? Wow. Guys, the mystery of who Christ is has been revealed through the scriptures. 
And there's so many resources in YouTube. YouTube is not only about, you know, how to get a, get a six-pack and how to do a do, do a do diet. It's better than more than that. Or old Korean drama clips. My wife was really into that. YouTube is about a resource where any passage of any Bible can be interpreted, and you could study it. There's so many great books out there. There's so many podcasts out there. There's so much information out there that you can get to fill your mind with God. Honestly, guys, I listen to the Word, I pray, but I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I listen to a lot of sermons. My daughter says, are you watching Korean drama in YouTube? I go, no. Are you listening to Sermon? I go, yeah. It's either Korean drama or Sermon for me in YouTube. And these knowledge of God translates me. It's not just affecting my mind. It's affecting my behavior. Yesterday, there was a huge little tiffle at a car. You know, you know, I was really tired. My wife wanted to go white pants shopping. And I go, okay, let's go white pants shopping when I'm super tired. And so I got tired, and there was a little scruffle in the car. And after the scruffle, I, just, I said, I got to pray. So I like went outside and started praying. And I started analyzing the scruffle within the word of God. And I realized, I'm a jerk. I'm so sorry. I'm a jerk. In the car, I thought I was right. In prayer, after I analyzed my situation through the word of God, I realized I'm a jerk. That's how it's supposed to work. Doctrine controls your behavior. It affects your behavior. You don't overcome sin by saying, Lord, I want to overcome sin. I want to overcome sin. Just begging the Lord to overcome your sin will not help you overcome sin. It's your knowledge of God that helps you overcome sin. Therefore, deacon, and all Christians, your calling is to study about Christ and let that study affect your life. That's what you're called to do. And that's how you mature. And that's how deacons effectively serve their church. Next week, we talk about can deacons be female? Can females be deacons? One of, the, one of the attendees of our church a long time ago, they left because we had female deacons. There's a person who left the church because, how dare you have female deacons? And they left. Is he right? You guys have to come next week. Let's pray. Well, we talked about a lot of things.